Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBND Health family. It's episode 97. I'm Eric Rieger here with that guy, Dr. Kenneth Brown. But Ken, once again, we've got an awesome guest. This is fantastic. So this episode is kind of a follow-up from our episode 94. 94. Where we discussed the American Dietetics Association and sort of the, anyways, go look at that. But we have a savior here today. We, we have do. somebody to redeem <laughs> the whole industry. We have Adrian Paxosa. And she is a registered dietitian and the chief clinical officer of usenourish.com. What's really exciting about this is if any of you have ever thought about seeking the assistance of a dietitian, well, here is your chance because she is part of a company that is in multi-states. They go all around. They do it telemedicine. They have multi-specialties. And that's what we're going to get into today, how you can actually find a very effective, credited Dietitian. Oh, I'm excited. Well, on top of that, they take insurance. That is the biggest thing because many, many don't. And as a gastroenterologist and as part of a large group, GI Alliance, we want to send people many times, but uh, frequently patients can't afford it. Yeah. And so we have this opportunity to have you on. And thank you so much for reaching out after that episode <laughs> to basically say, no, wait, there's brilliant, great people here. So Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. And I can't wait to jump into GI topics, food topics. Let's just jump in. Well, uh, so first, one thing that Ken and I always like to do is find out a little bit about what makes Adrian Adrian. So you grew up outside of Houston, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. And then kind of take us on your journey to living in Austin now. Oh, wow. Sit back and relax because it's a journey. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a dancer. Um, you can't tell, but I'm only five feet. Um, so because we're sitting, but I thought I was going to be a dancer. I was a Kilgore Rangerette. Oh, I, nice. You know? I do. They uh, kick high. They, oh, yes. they, they, they dance at a lot of uh, parades. Yes, yeah, yes. It. So it was wonderful. Got to travel the world, uh, performed everywhere, went off to New York, was dancing, thought that was just going to be my life. And um, I broke my foot. And I had this like instant realization of like, oh, I'm a good dancer. I'm not a great dancer. And I don't have the personality to be a backup dancer. So I needed to be the star. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I had some like bits and pieces I needed to swallow of like uh, ego. Uh, my mom's a nurse. And so I grew up in the hospital and she also did nurse, nursing education. And so I was always at the hospital, but I was like, oh, I don't want to touch people. And I was like, well, I like food. Food's awesome. I'll become a dietitian. And that is the amount of research I did on what it meant to be a dietitian and closed my eyes and said, I'll go there uh, and ended up at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And it was amazing. Great. I uh, worked in the hospital and Cook County Hospital, level one trauma and ICU trauma center, saw things that I did not 
think existed like leprosy. I thought that died in the Bible. And so it was amazing. I was like, I can treat this. I know that. I saw scurvy. I was like, there's pirates. This was amazing. There's pirates. Yes, there was pirates in Chicago. It was awesome. I could just see you getting your first scurvy consult. Yeah. Which is like, Who's that lady running down the hall with a yeah. bucket of limes? Get out of the way. I yeah. got this. Get a scurvy emergency. I will save you. I got this. Um, so She was- just left the Ricketts ward. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but I do not like the cold. So I came back to Texas and I wanted to start a practice and just kind of winged it honestly in the beginning and started to really build a practice. And something that was really important to me was accepting insurance Okay. Um, and really providing access to care. And that's kind of where I landed and slowly grew into a private practice, grew into a group practice. And this past year got approached by a technology company to partner. And this past year has been like my little passion heart has been so excited because we've been able to take this group practice nationwide. And we have have over 55 registered dietitians in 35 different states. We accept most major health insurance companies. We're on Medicare. We're out to change the world to better access and affordable care. Let me just reiterate that. 55 mm-hmm. in how many states? 35. 35 states and accept insurance and Medicare. Yeah. This is this could be a game changer. Yeah. And as we have discussed multiple times, the all health begins and ends in the gut. Mm-hmm. And if you're not eating properly, and if you're following the standard American diet, then all this does is just lead to more disease. 100%. Absolutely. So giving access is incredible. Oh, yeah. We are going to change it. And we are have massive growth goals this year. So this is just the beginning. Well, and <laughs> physical access is only one part of it. Financial access is another hurdle that many have to overcome. Mm-hmm. So what puts y'all on the path to get... Uh, nourish mm-hmm. and and I'm sorry we'll, we'll just repeat this several times but use nourish.com is your mm-hmm. uh, company website so with nourish what put y'all on the pathway to set up the insurance how did y'all know that was going to be a game changer what kind of complaints did you have before because I know they can can articulate that from a practice yeah so um, that was where I started and mm-hmm. so Insurance doesn't always recognize registered dietitians because we're not a very big group of providers. And so being credentialed is a big, hard battle to uh, overcome and like understanding what is actually covered. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of insurances don't do that. And so that was my passion project. And when coming on with this technology company, they are so thankful they uphold that mission. And they are just absolutely determined to make sure that dietitians have a voice, have a seat at the table, and to make sure that it is covered. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, so Ken, I know you can articulate a little bit about having patients that you've sent through that we've seen have come through the clinic or the procedure side, and you've made a reference, you know, you need to go and see a dietitian. And most of the times they try to follow up, but sometimes they kind of get hung up without necessarily having the means to afford that out of pocket, correct? A hundred percent, because unfortunately I don't have the time, and quite honestly, I don't have the knowledge, and I'll be the first one to admit as a gastroenterologist, we're not properly educated in this. And I've openly said this before, that I rely on the dietitians that I work with to help. And when you tell somebody that they have celiac disease, and I say, well, you can Google it. And, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy, but then, you know, we try and refer them to different dietitians and they come back three months later as a follow-up. I'm like, how did it go? Whatever. And like, well, I couldn't afford it, doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I ended up Googling it and I'm trying my best. But as we know, not just the knowledge, 
but it's the interaction. It's the support that happens. It's the follow-up that really makes a big difference. And we're, I mean, celiac is one thing, but telling a mom that her child, we had somebody come on the podcast, uh, Panis Kakpur, who gave her experience when she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And we didn't take it from her perspective. We kind of discussed it from the parent's perspective. Oh, gosh. And just how difficult that is, but it, how easy, how much easier it would have been had we uh, had access to a dietitian that the parent could speak with also. Oh, so. it's uh, navigating how to even think about that new disease. How do I shop, cook? How do I pack a lunchbox for that poor kiddo? All of those things that are going on and... It's also the mental stress, the behavior changes, all of those things are, are so unknown and your lifestyle is going to be different than this person's lifestyle. That grocery store is different than this grocery store. So really understanding and navigating and implementing all of those changes around food, diagnoses, it takes a lot of work and sometimes it takes that support. A lot of times in our sessions with patients, there's tears, there is a lot of stress that we have to talk through. And so it's, uh, we get to really have that time and space to connect and have a safe place for patients to cry, to lament over never having gluten bread again, if they have celiac or something like that. So it's food is personal. I want to comment on something right there when you said that, you know, what they have availability to, there's something that I didn't even occur to me that if you have somebody, since you have 55 right now, and I have mm -hmm. a feeling you're going to have a whole lot more in a year from now, mm -hmm. and you're in 35 states, when you're sitting there telling somebody in that lives, happens to live in an area that could be somewhat of a food desert, mm -hmm. meaning that they don't have access to certain places to go, just talking to somebody going, well, just go to your local Whole Foods. I'm like, you mean the one that's three hours away? Yeah. No, that, that isn't happening. What can I do in my area? But this is an ability to find people that are at least regionally knowledgeable about what's going on. A hundred percent. And then also talking about if somebody isn't able to afford certain things, okay, great. What do we, what can we afford? What's on your budget? How do we put together something that is going to meet your needs that is nutritionist and uh, nutritionally appropriate for what's going on in your body. So it's a lot of case management put into it as well. It's, awesome. it's uh, quite interesting that you brought up uh, celiac disease and you said case management because when I went to your website, I noticed that you profile so many of the different dietitians that are part of, of Nourish Now and uh, you made it really convenient to go through and see what everyone's specialty is because just being a dietitian is not a, a it's not a catch-all. Oh, it's gosh, not food no. for everyone. So kind of talk a little bit about the different facets that Nourish obviously addresses, and y'all run the gamut on, on almost everything. Yeah. Um, I like to say we have a dietitian for every condition. Mm -hmm. um, and so me personally, I specialize in eating disorders. It sounds crazy to say I love eating disorders, but I actually really do. If somebody gave, if somebody needed to be uh, seen for renal or kidney issues, no thank you. <laughs> that is outside of my box. I, I would definitely not be the best person. And so all of our dietitians specialize in a different area. Some mm -hmm. have multiple areas. Areas, some have just a few. And what that means is they might have advanced certifications in those areas. They might have advanced training. And so when somebody is coming in with a certain disease, we pair them up with a dietitian that has experience, training, and extra credentials in that disease so that they are getting the best care. So what I'm hearing you say is like if somebody goes to your site, then effectively they could put in what they're suffering from and y'all are going to filter them to the people that can help them. 100%. Make oh, sense. wow. That's great. So they would fill this out and say, these are our five people that we think would be the best fit. A hundred percent. Oh, beautiful. And then yeah. they can, it's much like trying to determine if you have a good personality fit and all that. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. They that's make it great. easy. Yeah. 
And it's, once again, it's telemedicine, so it doesn't have to be local person. No, and that what's so great about that in nutrition land is I get to see what your house looks like. Great, let's go see you in your pantry. Let's go through your pantry or uh, what's in your refrigerator. Let's <laughs> talk about this. And, oh, you don't know how to fry an egg. You'd be surprised how many people don't know how to fry an egg. And so let's do that together. Let's put the TV or the camera up to the stove. Let's do this together. Let's actually do this. Or when you do have a meal, what should you actually talk about at mealtime with kiddos? What's an appropriate conversation? What's a not appropriate conversation? So we really are able to kind of insert ourselves in people's home lives around food. That's Before great. we get back to food, I kind of want to know about conversations. Like what should you not <laughs> yeah. talk about? I mean, that's really cool. <laughs> what you shouldn't talk about at food. Um, so you'd be surprised. Like yuck, the word yuck is very, um, uh, I would say kind of in, infiltrates everybody. So if one kid says, oh, broccoli is yucky, then yeah. Every kid says broccoli is yucky. So we don't want to say yuck. Maybe I just do not prefer broccoli. Sure. Um, I've had to educate my husband on this a lot because if daddy yucks broccoli, then I will never get Truman to eat broccoli. Um, and so we want to have those conversations. Also, uh, there's tons of great research about how family nutrition has a huge foundation in mental health for kiddos later on. And so it's a time that we can talk about our feelings, our day. Also, it allows us to have that great conversation conversation about food. What do you actually like? Well, why do you like broccoli? Is it the flavor? Is it the crunch? Is it the savoriness of it? And so having those words and that vocabulary really helps kiddos to appreciate food and build a positive relationship with it. That's really interesting. So my, both of my sons are older. Um, and you know, as they grew up, I would say that we did a fairly decent job in helping them kind of learn as, as we did about how to eat better and better food selection, cooking styles, uh, what to cook with. But as they got into high school, they began to deviate a little bit. And rather than overly correct them, I've kind of let them kind of go on that journey. And it's almost now that they've, they've gotten into their early twenties. They're just de facto kind of returning a little bit back to the baseline. Is that something that y'all normally experience? No. Okay. <laughs> So, so good job. Good job. You set a great foundation. Um, it's interesting. Some kids, it, it, it's all personality type. Mm -hmm. Some kids are like, I'm free of broccoli. I'm going to eat everything else that I wasn't allowed. And some kids are like, man, my parents are smart. Um, so it's, it's, um, you did a great job slaying a great foundation. So well, would, even my younger son, I can still remember, I, I, we just didn't go to McDonald's. And so a, a few times he would, he would have it and he would say, well, you know, I was, I was with whomever fill in the blank. And then we ended up having a cheeseburger. He's like, dad, it, things gross. I mean, it, it made me feel badly, which I thought was kind of interesting that he even had the somatic experience. It just didn't feel great to have a really shitty hamburger. Wow. I'm super impressed with the way that you described going into somebody's home mm -hmm. and looking at their pantry, looking at this. And I'm trying to imagine, and I don't want to put you on the spot where this is the norm for you, <laughs> but I'm just imagining being a parent that has either a child with, that's been diagnosed with something, possibly a child or children who are leaning on the obese side and a very hardworking uh, mother, father, albeit whoever, um, is struggling to even know what to do and what to say. Yeah. And then when you just said that this foundation leads to mental health later in life, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we already know that uh, obesity in children has been associated with depression and anxiety in teens and so on. I mean, we know that it's something that really needs to be addressed critically, and we're gonna get into what some societies are saying about that. 
But the thought, what I was thinking about is when you team up with somebody like Nourish and yourself and your team, what you're giving the parent is you're giving somebody a teammate, Mm -hmm. a guide that you can sit there and it could be part of the, okay, hey, everybody, get over here. You know, we have our appointment with Adrian. We're going to talk about, you know, tonight we're going to learn how to cook an egg as a family. And we have our guide here. Mm -hmm. And this is something that hopefully it's part of the the visit that you have with them and because you have insurance or whatever it's 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 wonderful for both parties where they can do this but now you have the parent that's learning through experience with you as the guide and kids tend to especially if they fight with the parents they tend to see you or somebody on your team as an authority figure mm-hmm. so they'll listen mm-hmm. like that's an incredible opportunity that i've never never heard of before. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, If parents and kiddos fight about food, I always say, let us be kind of the mediator. Let us kind of break up the food fight Mm -hmm. um, and let us come in as the scientist, the expert. And so that you don't have to be the bad parent of like, oh, you need to be eating X, Y, and Z. And so it becomes a lot more fun. We get to play with food. We make food exciting. Oh, let's make a forest out of broccoli tonight. Um, let's have some fun. Okay, when you have lentils, like what are you tasting? Is it meaty? Or when you have a wonderful uh, steak, like what is actually, what do you taste in it? So really having those words is so much fun. And also giving parents a tool of how do you actually grocery shop? Nobody teaches you how to grocery yeah. shop. Um, I vividly remember going to the grocery store with my mom as a little kid sitting in the cart and she would pick up an apple and look at it and put it back down and pick up another apple and look at it, put it back down. I was like, I can't wait till I'm a mom and know how to pick out apples. Um, and so if you've never had a parent guardian teach you how to grocery shop, well then how do you know how to pick out an apple? And then when you get it home, what do you do with it? And so that's where a dietitian can come in of like, let's go to the grocery store. Let's virtually go to the grocery store together. Let's Instacart shop together. And so then when you get a rutabaga home, what do you do with it? Wow, that is super cool. And something I've never <laughs> never heard of before. I think that's groundbreaking to be honest. I mean, we do everything else, you know, with a, a click this, click that. You've got FaceTime, you've got all this other stuff, but helping somebody go through with that. Because when a parent has a long day at work and they're going to go with their children and they run down that middle aisle and the grocery stores know exactly what to put in that middle aisle. Mm-hmm. And you got to corral them and go, we're going to stay on the outside of this grocery store right now. We're going to circle our way to the middle because we know that that is where the healthy food is. And the grocery stores know that the highest, the most for profit that they're going to get is mm-hmm. in those middle aisles where they have all that processed food. And that's exactly, they put everything eye level for the kids mm-hmm. that is the best stuff that they're going to want, but it's probably the most unhealthy things. And if you're tired and you've worked a long week and you're just like, just my kid won't eat anything else, just fine. You can have that, that, but when you have a teammate, Mm -hmm. a truly a teammate, Mm -hmm. then you can get in there and say, okay, Miss Adrian's here and she's saying, nope, get out of that aisle. And yeah, let's go find something else. What I like to do scavenger hunts with kiddos. I like, oh, that's oh, cool. Okay, let's put a rainbow in our basket. Whoever gets the most colors that isn't all tan gets five points. I don't know what the points go to, but they get five points. Um, so it's fun. You can create a lot of games with kids. Where do you cash in these points? Um, that's it for the parents to choose. <laughs> <laughs> I defer to the parents on the cash in the points. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, You're sitting next to somebody on a flight and be like, hey, so you guys are going to Aruba? Yeah, Adrian gave us 5,000 points yeah. and we cashed them in for a trip to Aruba. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> 
So uh, your specialty, you said, was around eating disorders. Yes. And that loosely, and if I'm wrong, just let me know, but that's loosely, or I shouldn't say it's not loosely, it's grounded in probably issues like anxiety and different things like that. You want to talk about what it's like to choose that kind of discipline and because that's it's going to speak right to where Ken's wheelhouse is. Oh, good. Um, so, uh, so it is a mental health diagnosis in the DSM, um, and so lots of people with eating disorders will have co-occurring anxiety, depression, all mm-hmm. of those, um, and it presents in so many different realms, from restriction to binging to binging and purging, to exercise-induced purging to orthorexic diabulimia. So there's just a whole gamut of what an eating disorder could present and also the other co-occurring mental health issues along with it. So choosing it, I actually fell into it by accident and love it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that anybody who's suffered from any of that kind of stuff or a family member who's seen someone do that knows that it's, I mean, it's excruciating. Yeah. And so I've never, I don't, honestly, I never really thought about just the dietary aspects that go along to complement a recovery from that. So mm-hmm. what, what does that look like? Oh, it's a huge piece of it. So depending on the diagnosis, what's going on, uh, dietitians are a part of the care team with the therapist, psychiatrist, MD, dietitians, part of the team. And we work on building a positive relationship with that food and their body, working on if somebody's needing to nourish back up to their health, um, we get them there. So we get to really work on refeeding that person. We did a whole episode on high fructose corn syrup, oh and it was based off of an article that came across. It was uh, very interesting to me that uh, these researchers demonstrated that children and people that are on a high fructose corn syrup, that basically they eat lots of processed foods. They, since it has to go through the liver to be converted to glucose, what ends up happening is the brain actually doesn't use it as fuel, and it turns on what's called a foraging aspect, and so it increases neural activity. Now, I know that a lot of my patients that I've seen that have struggled with eating disorders, many of them have a diagnosis of OCD, anxiety, and ADHD, and with even just a change in the diet. Now, some of the people that I have talked to that have gone to inpatient rehab, when I listen to some of the foods that they've been offered, has high fructose corn syrup. 100%. And I'm like, wait a minute, that could be one of the root causes. Like, are we not addressing, like, I get that there's teams of psychiatrists and I get that they're dealing with this and I I fully understand that they're dealing with past traumatic experiences and whatever led to this, but the food that they're eating could still be contributing to it. 100%, yeah. (laughs) And I think a lot of times... When it comes to nutrition and nourishing somebody, people will look at, well, let's just get them fed. Let's just get them fed. And we have to look at the whole person. And that's what is really nice about working with somebody and having that time and space to work with them is we get to look at the whole entire person, their mental health, their uh, gut health. And so should that one person have high fructose corn syrup? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know a lot of people that I would recommend this is exactly yeah, what I'm they need. Who, <laughs> yeah, who I'm you like, would say, <laughs> you need high fructose corn syrup and a lot of it. In that, fact, an IV. Let yeah. me just start this on you. See, you're an, you're an annoying person. You definitely need a lot of high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> I could see you in some sort of political debate yeah. using that. You yeah. my sir need high fructose yeah. corn syrup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be the best debate ever. <laughs> it's the greatest insult a dietitian yeah. could throw at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> You don't just need sugar. You need really shitty sugar. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, knowing that, and we have these kind of influences, Ken's, 
I think highlighting something that becomes a deficit throughout healthcare. And when everybody has a specialty and I think that dietitians have become even more critical as time goes on because there's just not enough time in the day for the psychiatrist, the GI, any, uh, the cardiologist. I mean, the cardiac diets for, for cardiac recovery are, are insane. At oh, all of the yeah. Let me just start on this. I lost my shit. I don't work in the hospital a whole lot anymore, yeah. but I go to somebody who's uh, just got a, a stent placed, a cabbage, whatever, and the cardiac diet is... Pancakes with a package of syrup, which, which is not, it's not maple syrup. It's, it's that. not maple yeah, syrup. Yeah. It is definitely the little package that yeah. you can read the label and it's going to have everything that we hate. Yeah. And looking at that, and that's the cardiac diet. We forgot the margarine. Yeah. Yeah. That's margarine. Right. Yeah. 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 Margarine is there. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, this is the cardiac diet. I just lost it one day. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> We're spending, and who knows what that hospital stay was. Probably charged them $800 for that breakfast. Definitely. And the crazy thing about how they even end up with that breakfast, more than likely, if it was a large hospital, there was an offset for them to feature certain foods from somebody who probably paid for some placement of their distributor's foods to be there and to kind of offset all of that. And there's an incentive for them to offer things that are they're, they're suboptimal. And that kind of leads us to some really, really recent... I mean, the food pyramid already is pretty jacked up. Bless its heart. Yeah. And so now we have this new thing, which who thought it could be worse than the food pyramid? (laughs) The food compass from uh, which I think was done in partnership with Tufts University. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm obviously not telling you anything you don't know. <laughs> it, I, I was reading it earlier this week, and I I, I thought I, I, was, I was reading. It's like, is this real life? This can't be real life. Like this has to be a joke. Like I was just waiting for somebody to just be like, oh, got you. This is a punk episode. It's so absurd that absurd. everyone I've talked to is like, I'm like, come on. Like somebody photoshopped this shit. It's a bad shit. Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. So you're the only person I know that did. Why don't you do a little, just quick dive? Because you actually went to the tough site. You looked at the compass yeah. stuff. You didn't just read the graph that was put out. No. The, and so this is like, if anybody doesn't know, there's on social media, uh, you know, people that are really in the know, like Rob Wolf, who's always on top of this kind of stuff, posted this. Joe Rogan posted it. And, you know, people were taking the graph as face value, but the graph was then said, oh, well, this isn't actually what the government said. But then you went through the trouble of going to see how the graph was made. Yeah. Explain that. So if you, and then we'll put the links in the show notes, but you can go to the Tufts University website where they ran this study for a little over three years. And effectively, every single food that's mentioned there, and what's weird, just side note, they even have name brand foods yes. at the yeah. tops, which is what's great. up with Some that? of them are things like, Lucky Charms. And you know how your- Frosted gra- Mini Wheats was way up there. Remember yeah. remember when your grandparents used to always pick uh, Frosted Mini Wheats off the Frosted Mini Wheat tree? Yeah. That was, I mean, it was so <laughs> Those, fresh and crisp. But they didn't have glyphosate on them at the time. No. Those trees were yeah. just filled yeah. with, you know. with, the, with- Blooming. Yeah, the yeah, blooming Frosted Mini Wheats. Yeah. <laughs> Those things happened to finish, well, I'm sorry. Let's just say this. They Everything got scored for, uh, from one to 100. If it's a 100, then it's like, you need to eat this all of the time. And if it's down towards one, you don't ever need to consume it. Things like the oils that we talked about, soy oil, uh, other things that can contain PUFAs. They were, uh, let's see here, soy, canola, rapeseed, and safflower, all of those oils that we needed to avoid, they had high marks. And what had low marks are natural fats, not uh, saturated fats like butter. Butter was like a six. It doesn't make any sense. So you as a dietitian, Running into, and we'll put more examples on there. I don't want to just 
get sidetracked. But Lucky Charms finished ahead of red meat, which what? is insane. Egg substitute finished ahead of eggs. <laughs> I mean, it just pisses me off. It doesn't make Didn't any sense. Some of the sense. fake meats beat real meat. All of the fake meats beat <laughs> real meat. All of them. They're inflammatory as hell. They're trying to condition. I mean, it was supported by Bill Gates and the Bill Gates uh, Foundation. It doesn't make sense. It's so absurd that I'm wondering who's on this committee, and there's just a big bong in the middle, and everybody's just taking ginormous hits off of it. And they're like, what do you like, man? I'm like, I love Lucky Charms. (laughs) It's that absurd. It's like high people were making a food recommendation. It it definitely looks crazy. Well, uh, let's just give this guy his his credit. So this guy named Dariush... Mozafarian, he's a cardiologist at Tufts University, the Friedman School of Nutrition. Odd choice. Anyhow, he uh, has been lobbying for the last almost 36 months to be a part of the the council that consults with White House. And apparently two months ago, they got their wish. They unveiled the food compass, and this is what they want to adhere to and then now i'm seeing that like they're trying to backtrack a little huge social media backlash where everybody's like come on the only way to backtrack is to throw it in the toilet yeah i know it's insane but this is actually going on so the fact that this is being pushed is and name brands you're exactly right name brands come on and we went you know episode 94 when we talked about before we showed that the the people recommending to the FDA, the people recommending to the USDA, they are in the pockets of other people. And this is the greatest example mm-hmm. of that. So, for instance, since we just pulled this up. So, for instance, Reese's nice peanut job, butter You cups. got them started now. I know, now I know. Just, just, just keep going, up. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Nourish. Oh, by the way, listen Problems. to the way he says rapeseed every yeah, time. I he gets so it. angry. Stand canola <laughs> oil, also known as rapeseed oil. Anyway, um... So, for instance, Reese's peanut butter cups have a rating of 30, while cooked <laughs> cooked br- ground beef has a rating of 26. That's it doesn't, bananas. I know. So, Reese's peanut butter cups are a better protein source for you than beef. So, imagine, let's get back to somebody who is trying their best to feed their children, and they're like, well, the government says that these Reese's peanut butter cups are healthier than this ground meat over here. And so, All I right. guess, you know, I mean... If you're not doing your homework, this is actually seeping through to the general public. Oh, my God. According to them, a piece of pizza is better for you than an egg, and Lucky Charms is better for you than grilled chicken breast. I mean, it's just insane. It's laughable. It is. Dude, this literally sounds like some sort of comical board game you would do for, like, adult game night. You're like, put these foods in order where you think your government likes them. You yeah. <laughs> You should turn it's it into like, a drinking oh, game. Oh, it's yeah, something like that, right? Yes. You know, <laughs> shards of glass, and I'm like, well, it's gotta be. <laughs> it beats steak again. <laughs> shards of glass every time. Every Motor time. oil is better <laughs> than water. <sighs> We're so, doing this wrong. <laughs> what, what this does, though, for you and your industry, in my opinion, is it presents an entirely new set of challenges. And Ken and I, we interact a lot with dietitians. I I don't know of a single one that likes what we talked about with the discovery of the of the bad oils being represented at Fancy. Mm-hmm. Certainly not this. What do y'all do? Oh, it's it's so interesting. And there's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of different things. 
my reaction, me personally, is I am bound and determined to get in there and change it. Right. Um, because if you are just on the outside making noise and just complaining and like, oh, they're just bad, then nothing's going to change. Correct. And so I am all for get in and change. And so I don't have a loud voice yet. Um, and so I hope to really get in there and make a difference and let's clean it up. Like we don't have to have these crazy sponsors. Let's get back to food. Let's support food, food first. Let's really good look at what we're supposed to be doing and educating about food. Let me, uh, getting back to your company, mm-hmm. Nourish, so as your vision, that's fantastic. What is the process as you roll different registered dietitians in? Because having the like-minded people is super important. Oh, yes. So we have a very rigorous interview process. So we're very thankful, knock on wood, that we have um, over 400 dietitians that want to join us. It's impressive. Um, And we haven't marketed at all. Um, So we're very, very lucky. But we only are hiring a little bit because we have such an intense, rigorous interview process. We want somebody that has education, that has experience, that has really extensive knowledge and has counseling skills. So there are some dietitians that have only worked inpatient. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to listen. They don't know how to be creative. So we really want to uh, have a really good interview process. But then also we have intensive training. So uh, we talk to our dietitians a lot about what does it mean to be a good counselor? What does it mean to be a good listener? And every single week we go over cases. So our dietitians have up to eight, nine hours of case consultation a week um, to go over cases. Are you looking at every piece? And it is such an important thing to have that backbone to make sure that we're looking at the whole person the whole entire time. And Nourish is is all registered dietitians, correct? 100%. You want to kind of give the uh, difference between, because the vernacular, some people think it's interchangeable, but... Well, the vernacular of nutritionist versus registered dietitian. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, how I always like to explain it is registered dietitians are um, went to school, uh, went through kind of an internship residency program, sat for their exams, and pass their exams, have to uphold all of their credentials, continue education as a nutritionist, especially in the state of Texas. Anybody can be a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. You just take an exam like a, a personal trainer might, does not have to have the education for anything. Um, and so looking for that registered dietitians, and we also have to be licensed. Mm-hmm. And so that is protection for our patients. So if a dietitian does something wrong, we can get our license taken away, just like a physician can get their license taken away. So that is where it's that extra protection for the patient. Makes sense. I mean, it, it's, wor- it's worth noting that you have that kind of education, that kind of credential. And as you, as you put it, it protects the patient as they can. And thank you for clarifying that because honestly, it's just, it's a bandwidth on my part. It's not a, well, it is ignorance, but just because I haven't spent the time to actually look it up, but thank you for clarifying that because I was kind of overlapping them also. It, it's, it's totally normal because dietitians, we, we kind of look like lunch ladies sometimes. We're not super exciting. Nutritionists are, woo, they have, they, they're really good at PR and marketing. Dietitians, we like science. We like biochemistry, so we're not as great at marketers. Well, I think, so one thing that I think could help with your marketing <laughs> is that the fact that you walk around all the time in that hairnet and those little yes, plastic gloves. Always. You could yes. probably take those off at some point. There was many times when I worked in hospitals that I would ride the subway home with a hairnet on. I cannot, I, 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 
That was really popular in college. You know <laughs> Every time I think about you, I'm going to think of Adam Sandler and that lunch lady song. Yes. <laughs> this is very true. So um, what, when, when you first arrived, y'all also had some other things you wanted to talk about that you felt that that dietitians could be intervening in earlier and it pertained to children. So kind of take us down that pathway because it was something that I think that Ken and I both agreed you're skipping a very, very important step and it has to do with childhood obesity. Oh, well, we could do go down since you were looking at different recommendations. The um, Academy of Pediatric, American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations for obesity came out this past week, mm -hmm. uh, recommending that uh, children that are classified as obese could now be treated for that uh, with medication and bariatric surgery. And they did not reference registered dietitian yeah consulting with the dietitian or they did not reference anybody that works in mental health um so as an eating disorder professional i was like oh my god sos wreck on the track this is just spawning lots of eating disorders so as a parent if i if i'd had a, a son or a daughter that had you know an issue of obesity i would be wary that the first thing that they wanted to do in the arsenal to treat my kiddo would be medication or would be surgery uh certainly as a teenager so if if i'm a if i'm a a, a, a a parent of a patient that might need that kind of infor, inter, uh, information or intervention could i just look up nourish and say look this is what my doc's telling me i don't know that we're here yet is it something someone could just call and consult with you please 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 because uh, when a child is using food to possibly cope there's so many other things going on mm -hmm. and so i think that's a piece that uh, a lot of times physicians may not notice is people might be using and abusing food to uh, numb out dissociate as opposed to really uh talk about their feelings and so that's where we see a lot with binge eating overeating and so we can do a lot in working with a mental health provider too. Well, I wanted to really uh, hit also on the, the fact that the option of surgery oh. at 13, and they're talking about gastric sleeve surgery, can- Well, 13, you, I've heard younger. I mean, it's 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 quite early. So kind of, kind of paint the picture a little bit for those who may not understand what happens when you lose a piece of yeah, your stomach. Yeah, so let's talk about this. So when saying, oh, well, they're offering medications and surgery to children. Let's discuss exactly what that is. Sure. So from a surgical standpoint, the, I mean, we have seen failure after failure of bariatric surgery in the adult population. We've, we went through this whole phase of the lap band, which was a colossal failure Correct. that ended up causing actually secondary issues with esophageal motility, causing secondary achalasia, that kind of thing. I'm seeing consistently, and I don't want to you know, we want to have a, at some point we'll have an adult bariatric surgeon on here to sort of discuss the, I have one in mind who's extremely good at talking people out of it. And Sheetal Patel, she's fantastic. I want to have her on because I send her people and she's a surgeon that tends to not operate and try to work on things, which is great. And I'm going to introduce yes. your team to her for sure. Um, but we have these people that get uh, the gastric sleeve. And so essentially what it is, is the traditional gastric sleeve is to actually cut out a portion of the stomach so it ends up looking like a banana. But I have seen, and you've done anesthesia for plenty of doctors for this, the quality of the surgery varies. Mm -hmm. And eventually the stomach adapts. Definitely. And over time as an adult, it adapts. So how freaking long is it gonna last on a kid? 
Right. Screw this. They're still still growing. growing. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not supposed to say one word. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it really bad. <laughs> because that pisses me off. Yeah. If you're sitting there saying, you know what? If you're a pediatrician and you're like, well, our society says, and then this is how the shit kind of goes down. Because you go to a society meeting, like the FINCI for the dietitians or whatever, you go to a pediatric society thing. This is how pain meds started happening. Yeah. Uh, doctors, you have to understand that pain is the fifth vital sign, and if you do not treat it, you are liable, and you could be sued for it. And now we have an opioid crisis. Screw you. That came from the drug companies. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, doctors. If you have an obese child and they grow up and develop diabetes and end up going on dialysis, you can be held liable. That's the kind of shit that's being talked about. And so you have doctors going, oh, well, I'm going to punt it off to somebody else and let them make that decision. But the thought of a child having a bariatric surgery, not addressing the stuff that you're talking about is just insane to me. And I get that if you have a parent and as, um, as a parent of a boy and a girl, there's like my mood, like I, a lot of shit can happen during the day, but one thing just knocks me on my ass. And it's if your kids are unhappy, if your kids are hurt, if your kids are sick, that's the only thing on your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, daily a doctor is going you know your child's gonna have diabetes you better intervene you better do something to the parent and the parent's like i don't know what else to do the kid won't need anything they're whatever they're doing and they're like i feel like i'm feeding them good stuff i go to the i go to the store and i buy the package that says low sugar and i'm trying this and you don't read that the low sugar includes all those inflammatory oils yep. it includes it includes um um Slipping my mind, not guar gum, but the other one. Xanthan. Xanthan gum that now we know that your microbiome converts it to sugar, so you're still absorbing the calories, and we're learning all this other crap, and your microbiome's being destroyed and all this stuff. So the surgery in itself is so absurd to me that I can't even wrap my brain around it because I can't imagine that they're talking gastric bypass. Gastric bypass, I think there's actually a little tiny role in the adult population of the morbidly obese that is going into heart failure they're you know they're whatever there's probably a role for that somewhere but that damage that horse is out of the barn and this is probably something that can actually be done so i'm not bashing bariatric surgery in general i'm bashing this for this audience there's just no freaking way well the current rubric as you painted it and it's the way i understood it also is that we're they're just not even acknowledging that diet and dietitians and exercise or any of the combination of those could be a part of the solution and actually, Adam Carolla, I heard on a show here recently, and, and I thought this was a great point, and, and y'all as dietitians have probably encountered this, but if you have a child in the United States who's malnourished, under underfed or what have you, oftentimes the parents can be investigated mm -hmm. because they haven't, uh, they're not providing for their kiddos. But unfortunately, we live in a society now that that's the case, but if they're overfed, they're obese, there really isn't anything for that child to have anybody work as an advocate on their behalf. And now they're just sweeping the legs of the dietitian to be able to step in and give them a more nutritious and probably better long-term outcome, mm -hmm. teaching them how to eat better for themselves. All right. So let me play devil's advocate on this one <laughs> only because of this, because I'm, I'm imagining what it's like to be a parent coming home from work mm -hmm. and having your 13 year old daughter who's overweight and she comes home and she's possibly being bullied. She's on social media. She goes to her room. And the only time your child will talk to you is when you're eating with her 
And that is because when she eats certain things, there is a dopamine release and now she's engaging with you. And so I hate to sit there and say, I kind of get it, but I kind of get when a parent's at wit's end and they just want to engage with their child and they just want to see their child happy, even for a few minutes. I'm going to play the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. Got it. Because I actually agree with everything that you're saying. Uh, I think the inverse is, is actually larger than all of us sitting here. And that's at some point, just as you said, you want to help make the change Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. And those who actually make the choice for our food supply, we just need to have people that can, when they have the opportunity, make better demands on what it is that they're willing to accept in their food. Because I would guarantee you that more often than not, not in every instance, but more often than not, the same calorie exchange for somebody who happened to eat a food that didn't have all the bad hydrogenated oils, et cetera, versus one who did, the one who did is always going to be inflamed. Yes. The one who didn't could probably maintain body weight while still getting the dopamine response, but not having to suffer the consequences of being chronically inflamed and putting on weight because that's just only going to feed the problems that they currently have, I guess is the point. Yeah. I'm going to play your devil's advocate to your devil's advocate three to devils. my devil's advocate. Three devils. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, Adrian's having to watch all these devils. Well, advocates. I was yeah. just going to like smack down Satan's devil advocate and just say, we haven't even like talked to the kiddo. And That's, there we go. That Ooh. was, that was my trump card right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> like, but okay. So this is exactly it. So if I'm the parent that I'm frustrated in doing this, if I had some F you money, yeah. This would be the organization, not the organization. This would be the company that would be like, you don't need 50. I want 500 people. You vet. I want them available to my patients. If they can't afford it, here's a charity that will actually pay for it. You're going to get on FaceTime. You'll be compensated for it. This parent needs some support. The kiddo needs some support. And here's why. Now they have an advocate for themselves. This kid that feels alone, Mm -hmm. this kid that goes to school and doesn't feel good there, this kid that comes home and probably doesn't feel good at home and feels even more insecure because the parent says things like, you shouldn't put that in your mouth. That's the first thing that happens. And all of a sudden now we've got this eating thing. That's a really good point. So before we can get to the fix the big food, we get a face in front of them. That's balls. That is Dope. Adrian, yeah. 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 Totally oh, I can't tell you how many kiddos I've worked with and just talking to their parents after they're like, you have no idea that you have been such a positive female influence in my daughter's life that you have changed their outcome and they're happier. They are more engaged and they, I have my daughter back and it's just like, it is so rewarding. And so it's just having another person on their side. It's huge. I love the fact that you said talk to the kid too. Yeah. It's obvious that that's, that's your priority is yeah. helping the, kiddo. Out the patient or whomever it happens to be because that's your priority. Mm-hmm. You have the, the kid comes home. They feel bad. They had a shitty day. They go to their room. They hop on social media. They see images on oh, uh, Instagram yeah. of just things that they aren't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They feel worse. They stick a food, piece of food in. Yeah. There's a dopamine release. It's the only time for th- five minutes they feel okay. So I want to segue into something because I know it's something that you're very knowledgeable about and that I think is impossible to deal with this without getting into the fact that there are neurotransmitters involved here. There is actually science going on. It's not just willpower. Mm -hmm. 100%. Oh, yeah. So that person is trying to numb out, dissociate with food. I mean, replace the word food with drugs, alcohol, sex. It's the same, like, light up that dopamine response. And so 
we that kiddo doesn't have the tools or the wherewithal to deal with all of that emotional stuff. So it makes sense from a biochemical level that they're choosing food because they don't have those tools just yet to address how they're feeling. And so what unfortunately we see a lot in substance use disorder is somebody will start with food uh, to numb out, dissociate. That doesn't work anymore. They will go to drugs, harder drugs, and that's kind of a cycle. So I think in the substance use disorder community, I think the last research I saw is 60 to 70% have some form of eating disorder, disordered eating. Whoa, really? Mm -hmm. Did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. That's large. Yeah. The, um, when we're looking at certain neurotransmitters, the people, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is you have to have the right diet to form the right neurotransmitters. You have to have the right microbiome. Oh, I was going to say that. I was like, oh, don't, it's not about the food, it's about your gut. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, we're big microbiome people, and I love that we're talking the same language here. So t- tell me your take on that. Oh, my gosh. Um, I used to, before I learned more about the microbiome, I used to say you can't supplement a poor diet. You can't get anything going without a great gut microbiome. So your happiness comes from your gut. Like 60 to 80% of your serotonin comes from your gut. And so if your gut isn't moving and grooving and you don't have the right microbiome, womp, 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 like joy and happiness is not coming your way. If you aren't giving your body enough great carbohydrates and fiber, we are not going to really get that blood sugar up to have great brain chemistry. Oh, no, let's don't talk about fat. All of our neurotransmitters are traveling through fat and our hormones travel through fat. Yes. Oh, you guys got me lit up. This is like my favorite stuff Keep to going. talk about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it just makes me so excited. And so potassium. Oh, potassium. For all of our anxious little humans, potassium helps to get us, like, calm us down. Sodium gets us riled up. And so if we have something that's anxious, I really recommend potassium-rich foods, not a supplement, potassium-rich foods, some Mm -hmm. coconut water, some dried mango to really help calm out that anxiety, to really slow those muscle contractions down, slow it down. And I always tell people food isn't going to be like a medication. It's not going to be complete 180. It's going to help. It might help a little bit more for others, depending on your gut microbiome, but it, it can't hurt. I want to uh, clarify something right there. I think that what you just described there and the passion that you said it (laughs) is there's something that goes with it that when, and there's multiple studies that have shown this with adults, that when there's knowledge behind what they're doing, they actually get an exponential response because if a parent is saying, you know, hey, why don't we have some some dried mangoes here or or whatever it is and be like, remember, Miss Adrian said that. Sometimes your anxiety, you had a tough day. It could be that you have low potassium levels. Let's go ahead and do this. And I'm not saying that there's a placebo effect, but I'm saying there's a placebo effect. It can't hurt. It can't hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mangoes won't hurt. Because you, people can then sit there and go, oh, I'm maybe I'm feeling this way because I'm not nutritionally there. And now I understand why I'm doing it. And you're making sense of the food. The way you were describing about how to teach kids to appreciate the, the taste, the texture of the food, you can do the same thing of how do you appreciate the nutrients that you're getting in. Oh, 100%. And we haven't even talked about water. I mean, dehydration is the number one enemy. Um, There's been great studies that show that uh, people with Alzheimer's could actually be dehydrated. And so our neurocognition, our ability to think through issues, if we're not hydrated, our cognitive reasoning goes down by almost 60%. So that's a whole other topic of just hydration is amazing. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we've discussed other things. Like, we're, um, we never hit on potassium. We, we hit on magnesium. Because mm. as adults, there's a huge magnesium oh. deficit, and that plays a lot of different roles. That is super interesting because the knowledge of why you're doing something, I think, plays a huge role. And what you're doing is you're empowering the child, the kid, to start learning more about it. We're going to have this whole army. After you get done with people, we have this whole army of <laughs> dietitians coming in to these kids that every story will be the same. I was feeling horrible and then I met Nourish and because of that, it changed my life and now I work for them. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming in to hang Aww. out with us. Uh, I think that Nourish, and, and I'm sorry, it is usenourish.com, correct? correct? Mm-hmm. And Adrian, if you don't mind, just tell everybody kind of what to expect when they go to your website and other places they could follow you. And we'll be sure to include everything on show notes. Yeah. So if you guys go over to usenourish.com, there is a little orange button and it says get started and you get to go on that journey. We want to learn about you, what's going on, and you get to pick your dietitian that knows exactly what you're needing to help foster great relationships with food and really get to the depths of that relationship. And so follow us at all the social medias at Use Nourish. I want to clarify, I think we spent a little bit of time on something that we're all passionate about, which is children. Yeah. But you also, I went through your website. You also have a lot of people that are there because I get a lot of questions from the premenopausal, menopausal women that are trying to control their weight and you have people that are experts in that. Yes. I have um, issues with men dealing with hormone things mm-hmm. and uh, rather than just jump right in and start taking a bunch of hormones, possibly changing their diet can make a big difference. We've listened to podcasts where optimizing hormones, optimizing all these things really relates to the stuff you're talking about. Hydration, sleep, diet is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people are going in and they're taking drugs and they're doing different things when the foundation is not being met. Yeah. And you have people for that also. 100%. I mean, we're all very passionate about what we talked about here because it's, it's the starting point. It's, you know, we can all relate to our children that are dealing with this, but whatever journey you're on in your questions about nutrition, if you're looking for a partner, uh, this is the place to start. If you feel that you're struggling, then check them out and more than likely your insurance will cover it and you can have a partner in this. If you don't know how to fry an egg, she'll teach you. <laughs> or a grocery shop. Yeah. Or a grocery shop. Yeah. Uh, what is the first, what's your first experience grocery shopping? Do you remember? Do you have any idea? Did you go to the grocery store with your mom? With your grandparents? We were pretty poor. So I remember stocking when I was about four or five. Uh-huh. Yeah. I worked early. <laughs> <laughs> She would just drop me off at like 4 a.m. She's like, they'll tell you what to do. They just gave you a box cutter and let you go. <laughs> did you did you grocery shop with your with your mother? Oh, yes. And I take time? my little guy with me every single time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going to the grocery store quite a bit with my parents. I was just reminded though, whenever you brought that up, I started smiling. My grandmother, the world was much different then, but uh they was a little bitty, a little bitty grocery store in Decatur, Texas. It was called Pinkerton's. And everybody, all the older women would get a little bit of ashtray <laughs> and they'd put it in the shopping cart no. and they, you could, you could ash a little bit in there while you went through the produce aisle. Things are different now. If you've been avoiding the grocery store because you didn't want to be around cigarette smoke, it's gotten much better. <laughs> so it's, it was probably healthier back then with the cigarette smoke. Yeah, she was thin. She was <laughs> super thin. Still healthier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, not to, to beat the same thing, but like what you were talking about, if you're. If you're looking at this, a lot of this stuff, you think you're eating healthy and what you're doing is you're inflaming your body. Inflammation is the root cause of disease and it 
it doesn't allow you to have weight loss. It doesn't allow you to have a healthy lifestyle, even though you think you're eating healthy because you're following a stupid effing yeah. compass food pyramid. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't no. do that at all. If you have questions about what's wrong with the compass food pyramid, go to your usenourish.com. <laughs> Hit the orange button and let them sort it out for you. Yeah. So yeah. So all comments. If you if you want this to change, rile up. Go to usenourish.com. Click the orange button. If you hate this podcast, go to usenourish.com. Click the orange button. Bitch about it, Adrian. If you have a neighbor that you want to have a whole bunch of high fructose corn syrup, yeah. go to usenourish.com. Hit the orange button. We'll yeah, take they, care of it. We got, we got it. We got that. You know, in fact, just use nurse.com for everything. Yep. You always complain. Yep. Anything. Somebody watering too much when yep. it should be water restriction. Yeah. Yep. We got that. We got yeah. it. Well, thank you so much, Adrian, for joining us. That's going to do it for episode number 97. Ken, Adrian, anything else to add? Well, I just want to add this. I feel like with your passion and what you're doing and how you've set this up, I feel like you may be on the beginning of a pendulum swing that could really change millions of lives. And I want to thank you. Definitely. Oh, well, thank you guys so much. This has been awesome. And I just can't wait to see where you guys go as well. Oh, we're just going to walk over there. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was fun. <laughs> thank you all so much. We'll see you all next time. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.